to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Welcome to season nine, in fact, of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm Josiah, and I would like to introduce you to this season's guest host. She, I'm pretty sure, has a doctorate. She is an advocate. She is a pastor. She's a really good friend of mine, and she just does so many things uh, that I, I'm, if I even tried to list it right now, I'd probably miss something, and she's going to give me grief for it. So instead of doing that, I'm going to just introduce you to you. Latia Frazier. Latia, did I miss any of these titles? You, you missed that I was on the podcast before. Okay, that might be but the I mean, most important. I mean, right? you got to put that as And But now I get to guest host, so that's fun. That's pretty awesome. In the past, we had you on the podcast. Uh, I think we called you, I can't remember what you're, the because the, we had like millennial stereotypes we attached <laughs> to every guest in the first season. And you reminded us that avocado toast might be a white kid thing. And we had some yes. fun with that. I can't, yeah, I don't remember what your podcast title was, but I know we enjoyed getting to know you having fun. Uh, tell us just a little bit, orientate us a little bit for those that may be listening to this podcast for the first time who haven't had a chance to go and listen to your previous episodes, where you're at, what you do, any pertinent information to, to why we might want you to host this season of the podcast. Yeah, so I am originally from New York City, but I am currently living in Kansas City, doing a lot of activist work with the Poor People's Campaign um, and and, uh, disability awareness type of things. And I am a hospital chaplain. I'm doing a whole bunch of different things. But for this season, I thought it would be good for us to talk about disability and disability theology and people with disabilities who feel a call to ministry and or people with disabilities who are committed uh, congregation members in the church. I thought it was important to do because it's a culture that is often ignored in the church or we just don't know what to do. So I think it uh, would be good for us to have some honest conversation. I met Latia through a mentoring program for young millennial Nazarene pastors, and we became very good friends. And quickly, I got to know Latia and her sense of humor and all sorts of fun stuff. And she gave me grief because I basically like told her a dad joke is one of the first things I told her about how our names are basically the same because the last three letters shared are shared between our names. And then she said, yeah, we're basically twins. But that therein lied like the comedic, oh, she's <laughs> hilarious because we're not twins. I mean, I will probably post a picture of us on social media so you can compare how we are not twins and how great that statement was. Uh, but I think it's probably important, Latia, could you give us just a little bit of why disability theology or this topic is so near and dear to your heart and why this might be a really great topic of conversation for us to spend some time in, in the Millennial Pastor podcast sphere of topics of conversation. Yeah, so I say there's a few reasons. One, I identify as a person with a disability, as someone who lives with cerebral palsy. Um, I am an ordained pastor within the Nazarene uh, denomination. and 
I just uh, I don't even know. Besides that, that might be enough by itself, right there, right? I mean, and then I think too. Uh, I did my doctoral dissertation on understanding disability is more than a diagnosis, but a culture. And one of the things I noticed is I looked in our handy dandy um, Church of the Nazarene manual, and I, uh, you know, looked for words like disabled, disability, handicapped, which is not a word we should use, but just because I know that it might be in there. And the only times I saw that word was to say that we believe people with disabilities are mainly images of God. So that's a check. Um, but the other times the, that word was encountered, it was for pastors who for some reason become disabled and there's like clauses in there for offering medical care and support if and when possible, which is amazing. And for pastors who become disabled to have a path toward retirement, which is also important. But was what was missing was a theology or a statement or an affirmation of folks with disabilities being called into ministry. And so uh, I I wanted to challenge that, to look at that and call us to explore that a little bit. And the same is true in our, because folks sometimes do the course of study if they don't go to seminary. And the only time I saw the word disability or handicapped was in the section about multiculturalism, like understanding that we all come from different cultures and that might cause some fear um, at first in in people. So they recognize, probably not meaning to, that people with disabilities are a culture and um, uh, that sometimes people with disabilities are feared, which I thought was an interesting way to frame people with disabilities. I mean, sometimes I might be afraid of you, but it has nothing to do with your disability, right? Like, there's a whole other topic of conversation. Um, but, uh, but that, for the for the same loving reason, I would say, you know, I'm fearful of my wife very occasionally because I just have a big mouth and I say dumb stuff sometimes. And sometimes <laughs> people need to put me back in my place. However, there's a history here that I think we need to touch on, and you, I, I do think we touch on it in one of the episodes that our guests are going to hear. And spoiler alert, I will participate in some of this stuff, even though I've handed over guest uh, hosting responsibilities to Latia, and maybe we can unpack that later on in this introductory interview. But tell me a little bit about what happened in the 90s with, uh, I can't remember the acronym. What was the, yeah, so the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was passed 32, almost 33 years ago. Um July 26, 1990, but part of that was to sort of the Emancipation Proclamation for folks with disabilities, allowing for access in all arenas of of society. And yet the church, capital C, was one of the ones, if not the only ones, who lobbied against having to implement it, citing like financial liability and liabilities in general and 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 the church one so um that is something that folks within the disability community are very aware of and as i was going through my doctoral program 
a lot of my friends said to me, why would I want to be a part of an institution that actively lobbied against me existing in that space? Yeah, making sure that you don't have to be charitable to a subset of the population is generally a bad way to to make them feel welcomed, right? In, yeah. your, in your circles. Like, if you actually want me here, maybe don't do that. So that that's an interesting history that I, I was unaware of, um, very naive to. There's other things. Maybe we can just we can touch on this a little bit. There's other things that I was clearly unaware of. And you actually invited me to be part of these conversations to some extent. And uh, you, call it, you, call, you call it, uh, what did you call it? Ableism or, yeah. Yeah. So he's, uh, I said, would, Josiah, would you be willing to be the... Um, ableist person in the, in this conversation uh be willing to ask the questions that maybe perhaps some of the listeners would want to know but like are scared to ask and so um Josiah politely uh accepted the the challenge and yet we let all our our guests know that um just as an upfront thing to know so they didn't think you were a jerk <laughs> And half the time they're like, well, that was really, really nice. I'm like, I actually don't want to be rude. Like I'm trying to ask questions thoughtfully. And I think one of the first episodes that will air, it it was simply like, can we even talk to you if we don't know you about your disability? Like, how do I even approach talking to folks about this? And, you know, the response and the reaction and sort of the coaching was really both instructive and eye-opening. Like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why didn't I even think about that? Some of it's sort of no-brainer stuff, but as someone, I'm just going to speak as, as a person without a disability, uh, without a physical disability, right? Without any diagnosed disability, like I don't really think about that stuff. Like it's not even on my radar. And even to the point of the history of of the Americans with Disabilities Act, like that's just not been a thing that's been on my radar whatsoever. Which is why I'm. Very I think ex- the reality is that one in five people will have a disability at some point in their life. Um, I just was born with it, but like somebody can have anything happen as long as you live long enough, it's, it's a potential. And so it's the only uh, minority group that anyone can join at any time. And so I think it's another reason to have this conversation. Which is wild. That's wild to think about is like at any moment, you know, it could, something could happen. You could have an accident, you could have some sort of thing happen and you might become Part of a minority group you were not a part of the day before yep so and to that i would say like not that i want anybody to get in an accident or have health things but i would say like welcome come on over <laughs> yes it, your, your life your life because here's the ableist take on it right your life isn't over right because a lot of folks would think oh my life's over because i'm in a wheelchair my life's over because i can't do this anymore my life's over like actually because you ask some questions, you ask some questions of all of our guests. You talk about this thing called disability theology. I don't know how much of that you want to tease out right now, but um, I'm sure you know one of the questions I'm thinking of that you've asked most of our guests. Like, like it's surprising some of the answers I was not expecting. But how much can you tell us about what your questions are for some of our guests? What the guests are are you know who we are even asking these questions of, and what our listeners can expect with you at the helm with this season all about disability yeah so most of the folks are in some way connected to ministry so uh, a pastor or a a lay leader and then there are a few that are 
are committed folks that are attenders at church. And I did that on purpose because I think we need to hear both sides of that. Like not just the folks for whom um, this conversation is is at the forefront because they're in the ministry, because they're pastors, but to to also highlight those in your congregation who do go to church who have disabilities. Um, some of the questions I asked, and I remember sending it over to you, Josiah, and some of them you were like, what does that even mean? And two, uh, like, of course, would be some of, like, your the magic pill one is what I'm thinking about. Uh, which is often asked of folks with disabilities, which I knew that, and I knew that people would have some answer to that already formed in their mind. Um, so the question is simply something like, if, you know, a magic pill was created that then allowed for folks with disabilities not to have their disability, would they take it? So that's one, yeah. Which... I had my assumptions on what some of those answers would be, and I was surprised. Um, but you also you also talk disability theology, and there was a, the first time I was ever even exposed to what I would call like the first, I, I guess my my first like theological thought about disabilities was was because of you. You we were walking into a coffee shop or something like that, and you paused and you looked at me like. Oh, it's about to happen. I'm like, what's about to happen? What's going down? <laughs> like, it wasn't, a, it was like Oklahoma City or wherever we were at. And like, I don't know what goes on in Oklahoma. Like, I'm a West Coast kid. Like, is it a tornado? Or is, is we're about to be locked down, right? It's a tornado. But the skies were blue. So I was just tripping. Like, what's going on? Like, okay, it didn't happen. I'm like, what didn't happen? Apparently, you saw, you saw, you know, I, I, from what I remember, a middle aged, uh, white female evangelical looking person who you thought was going to do what you later told me was a prayer bombing or a prayer I, tell me yeah, about so, that so i call it a prayer bombing and part of it is and these are random people who don't know you or don't know me um and engaged in conversation as we were in the coffee shop and like asked me questions like what happened to you and do you believe that god can do miracles and i went and i looked at josiah and i said oh no here we go here it's we about go. to it's about to happen <laughs> Which is typically, oh, something around that the idea of like, can I pray for you because I believe that God can bring healing? And then we're just in this awkward uh, interaction, right? Like sometimes I, well, more times than not now, I say no, like I'm okay. Like you don't need to pray for me about this. Uh, sometimes I say, yeah, you can pray for me as long as I can pray for you. Or let me tell you my name first so that I'm not yeah. like this this thing to be objectified. Yeah. yeah. Well, I it, I clearly remember because you had said, I, you had explained how it happened in the past. And, and then I got more doses of your humor where I was like, am I allowed to laugh at this? And I can't remember <laughs> exactly what you said. We like, after the prayer, you looked down like, dang, my legs are still like that. Or whatever you would say. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, is that, can I laugh at that? This, what are we doing now? And, you know, it was like, I was uncomfortable. You were laughing. Like, I think I can laugh at this. I think that's what's going on right now. But it started to unpack some of those questions. Just like you're saying, like, do you believe God can do this? Do you, it, it begs questions about, you know, does God create, 
you know, in how the intentionality of God's creation and bearing the image of God, even in disabled bodies and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it was a fascinating exercise that, you know, you definitely started to open my eyes uh, about, but I don't think the average listener to this podcast, this is, this is a guess. I could be very wrong, spends any time or minimal time thinking about something like disability theology. So in, in a very brief, right, like explaining to a 10 year old, 15 year old, what are we even talking about when we're talking about disability theology? Yeah. So it's sort of a liberation theology that says the Bible and theology as a whole has something to say about people with disabilities that is affirmative and helpful for the whole church is to say that God in the person of Jesus experienced all the things of what it meant to be human, including disability. And um, one of the foundational, the mother of disability theology is Nancy Eastland. And her assertion was to say that Jesus knows what it is to have a disability um, using uh, the interaction Jesus has with Thomas um, as Jesus' resurrected body still bears the scars and wounds of the disabling event, which is the crucifixion, hmm. in short. So long story short with some of this, because uh, I know I've grown up with some of these influences. I've seen these like uh, treating a disabled body as something less than is not something that would ever be supported by disability theology, mm-hmm. that, that your body needs to be prayed back to wholeness, that you are, as a disabled person, already whole, yes. right? Which challenges so much of what many evangelicals are brought up to believe. So aside from, aside from the disability theology, which might already be getting some folks' thoughts percolating, can you give us any more snippets of what, uh, what else you think uh, we should we should tease out what to expect in this coming season. So I guess my thought uh, when you first asked me to, to, to host and we were still, I was still trying to tease that out even as we were recording some of the episodes, like this is great. have good conversation, but like, what do I want or wish would come from this? And um, there are, I'm thinking particularly of the Methodists and the Presbyterians they have um, committees or something in their structure that has a um, person that's really in charge of, responsible for making sure that ministers that have disabilities that are called into the ministry feel supported. Um, And that, uh, yeah, so maybe that's my hope for the Church of the Nazarene is that folks with disabilities won't feel afraid to identify that way. Like for me, mine is very visible. So you can, you know, have to think about that. But, um, but for those for whom you can pass, unless there's a, a, a situation where you can't to, to understand the disability is something to be proud of and that we can support our ministers with disabilities. Uh, with education for those who are doing, um, you know, ministry board interviews, those sorts of things too. And at this point, we've interviewed the majority of the guests that we have. And and just to to remind our listeners, this 
this has become a theme this year. Not all of them are Nazarene even or Nazarene pastor or pastors in general. Um, and so it is interesting. We do hear from other denominational traditions about how they how they sort of handle organizationally, governmentally, uh, this discussion about um, disabilities within uh, the church Catholic or within their own denomination. Because in the Nazarene church, we don't really have any that like the de facto the de facto disability person uh to go to to talk to you about the stuff is you right like in some ways like yeah and then there's a there's a, a neurodivergent uh group as well um and then some within the disability community identify with that label neurodivergent and there are some who don't and so that's why i think it would be good to have something that would encompass all of those things well and i'm sure you would say this yourself but i'll say it for you um it's not easy to even become a pastor if you have a disability in the first place and you're you're probably not going to be looked at for some of the normal pastoral roles in part because of having a disability yeah i think i think biblically right so it's looking at our the way we understand the scriptural narrative around people with disabilities so if you look at the old testament if you read it in a way you can read it in a way that says folks with disabilities can't and shouldn't be pastors um when yet that's not actually what it says and you can read the the healing narratives in a way that sometimes that dehumanize folks with disabilities so i think visually um which is what the old testament narratives actually say that there were priests who had disabilities but they weren't able to do the right upfront roles not because they were not capable of it but because the folks could not deal with that visual representation or had in their mind wrap their mind around having a priest that had some visible disability like a withered hand as what like the scripture would say so they did more of the behind the scenes roles while the folks that didn't appear to have anything visible were able to do the priestly duties which is fascinating because just practically speaking i mean the biblical narratives and the theological framework then touches real lives right like we're talking about folks that might receive a calling to do ministry but they might not even be able to find a position and therefore like earn a living possibly to to do what they feel called to do because of some of these you know it's all we we create taboos out of stuff right like yeah that's just what it seems to come down to so and while i know i'm very clear about my call to ministry and i'm very clear that um, because of my disability, and I would say because it's an intersectional thing for me, the fact that I'm a woman and that I have I'm African American also adds some challenge to that. Um, but I think the first thing that folks notice when they encounter me is my disability, hmm. and then um, the fact that I'm black, and then the fact that I'm a woman. So I think that's the biggest challenge. Just in case someone doesn't have Google ready, define that word again, intersectionality. Can you tell us what that means real quick? Yeah. So it says that there are more than one marginalized identities that I I have or someone has that, that impacts their lives and how 
um, I can and do exist in society, right? So if I was just a person with a disability, but I'm a white man, which one of our guests will talk about that, right? Then in every other way, except the fact that he uses a wheelchair, he has privileges uh, that I don't. Mm-hmm. So because of the, the it's, it's compounded, basically, these issues yes. compound one upon the next one. So yeah, I think we joke in one episode, if you ever need to borrow, you know, my, my station in life, my white privilege, it's, you can have it. It's fine. Yeah. I don't know if I can rent that stuff out or not, but. But I but, also think that's, that lets me think about what does it mean to have mentors, right? So what does it mean to strategically mentor folks in general, but those with disabilities so that those without disabilities even like begin to look for whatever the signs are that someone with a disability might be called to ministry in the same ways that we are taught to look for those without disabilities that God may be calling into ministry. Well, and there's a fascinating thread that I think follows through most of the seasons of this podcast that binds it all together. And that's that we hope that from these stories that are shared, these interviews that are published, that institutions can be better equipped to help, right? The next generation pastor to do some of the things you're talking about, mentoring, to be prepared to have these conversations. And I think you ask most, at least the pastors that we've interviewed, what do you, what would you hope that, uh, you know, a ministry, a credentialing board would be better prepared to ask you? What, what, are, what are things that you wish that they knew? What are things that you wish they didn't ask you? And that might be a really, really helpful thing for, for especially those in, in leadership roles to understand. But additionally, it's, you ask most everybody, like, just tell us about the experiences you've had in the church itself, good and bad, and what that looks like. So overall, I think our hope on this podcast, this season and seasons before it, is is always about just being transparent, talking about things that sometimes don't get talked about for the sake of hopefully the church's edification. Um, but would you would you agree with that? I would, I would, yeah. And I I would say that there are similar threads throughout each person's story. Absolutely. How many guests do you think we're gonna have? I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> Either ten or twelve. We're working on it. We we yeah. should just just like the past season, we should be able to release an episode every week. So after this episode, you're only going to get interviews where primarily Latia will take the lead and she's going to ask some questions every now and then. I might chime in with something that hopefully is not too uh, ableist sounding, but kind of intentionally might be for the sake of education. Right? Is that what we're going to? Yeah, sake? maybe maybe it'd be helpful to define what ableism is. So it is the preference of bodies that don't have a disability or appear to have a disability the preference of operating in a in a way like physically or mentally or intellectually in a way that has been decided is the norm for our society right so preferential can we can we can we unpack that with the first question asked in the first episode because i think it it I can yeah, remember I don't it. I don't remember what it is, so go for it. What I think it's the the entitlement some folks without disabilities feel like they have in in uh, satisfying their curiosity to sort of force someone with a disability to explain 
everything about their disability as if, you know, and I think our first guest wasn't born with a physical disability. So in some cases you might be forcing someone to relive something that was actually fairly traumatic just to satiate your own curiosity. Cause you feel you deserve some sort of like, Hey, I, what's wrong with you? I need to be told because there's nothing wrong with me, but we can talk about you. Cause I can see something's wrong with you. Yeah. I, it depends who it, how you ask that question and who's asking that question. But it's a matter of relationship. I would never go up to you, Josiah, and say, can you tell me how you had your kids? Like, that's really <laughs> it's a little private. Yeah. <laughs> private. Like, I'm and so, feel like that's none of your business. <laughs> right. And so I, I wonder, like, what is the motivation or the intent behind the question? And not that I am um, not willing to have that conversation, but levels of friendship and like intimacy depending on who you are right and also there's a difference between a curious kid who's like oh I've never seen somebody with crutches before or like my grandma uses a walker right and I'm not uh that age so because because sometimes disability is linked to oh when you get older like my grandma um, so I can, you know, I have grace for children who are naturally curious for adults. I like do your own education and, mm-hmm. and question why you think you have the right to know it. Exactly. So that assumption of having the right to object, objectify a person's lived experience to satiate curiosity is where it becomes uh, less, uh, less fun for the person being objectified. Oh, well, that's what you can expect, folks. I think we covered everything. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to tease out. Can you remember anything else that we need to talk about, Latia? We t- oh, should we say something about people first or um Yeah, if you if identity you can... first language. Yeah. Yeah, we should probably touch on that too, because I think I don't know how much we explain it in the episode, but yeah, just give us a brief view of what that is. Yeah. So one of the questions I asked, I I just remembered that Josiah didn't uh, know how to answer this question or like why it was important is within the disability community, folks use either people first language or identity first language. And people first language was um, first like popularized by the disability rights movement of the uh, 60s and 70s which which kind of took their form based on the civil rights movement but it is to say that people with disabilities are human um to emphasize the humanity of a person so you would say if i were to describe myself that i am a person with a disability so emphasizing my personhood first a person with cerebral palsy and not using words that are taboo, like handicapped, which is uh, for many within the disability movement as offensive as if you were to use the N-word when referring to me. Mm. Um, So I think that's good to know. And also, so that was the people first language was used as a corrective to say we're human, we're people, we're not just our diagnosis. And then there are folks within the community while respecting the work that 
um, disability advocates did said, hey, no, like I'm okay with identifying by my disability because it's intricately connected to my experience. So um, folks who use identity first language say like, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm a disabled person or I, I'm autistic or I um, am deaf, like, cause that's like so tied to my, um, who I am. And so there's now a push toward the other way that says, no, we don't have to use words that are like euphemisms. Some of them I laugh at like handy capable. I don't know what that <laughs> means, but I feel like we need to do like a superhero something um, <laughs> and then, or differently abled. Um, so it's a pushback on that to say it's okay to use the words that are to say disability, to say crippled, to say, but I would also say we want to mirror the language that the person with the disability is using. Um, so I would not, if you saw somebody like me go up to them and like, hey, crippled person, like, because you might not get a nice response to that. Um, so again, mirror the language that the person with the disability is using. And I would say that I go back and forth between the two. Um, if I'm in a space where I know that there are just folks with disabilities, I use identity first language because it's also part of our humor. Um, and then if I'm in a mixed group, so I know that there are folks that would not identify, I tend to use people first language. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a whole other, it's a whole other side of this that I never really thought much about, but it's super, super helpful in this entire conversation, just like your own personhood, right? How you, how you describe yourself is very significant. So we ask these questions. Well, I don't ask any of the, well, I ask some questions, but let's see, ask these questions and many more of at least maybe 10 guests that are going to be up and coming. And season, gosh, we're in season nine of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. So I, I think that's it. I think we touched on all the things. Let's see. I'm so thankful that you were willing to uh, do this and be a part of this conversation and lead this conversation, help us to better understand uh, what it's like to be a, a walk a mile in someone else's shoes, so to speak, right? The metaphor of like, hey, this or is- Or roll. Or roll, right? <laughs> or roll. Yes. See, there you go. Roll roll a mile in someone else's yeah situation but to just for the life of the church have a better understanding of what is going on when gosh like not so long ago the church took a position to say no i don't want to spend any money building ramps to make it easier for folks that need to get in the building to get in the building which is wild and i think the only reason why it's sort of changing is because the our congregations are aging so yep there's that that's probably true. <laughs> well, on that note, um, this is the uh, this is the beginning of season nine, folks. Latia Frazier, Doctor. How many how many titles can I put at the beginning? Reverend, the Reverend Doctor. Reverend, right? or you could just call me Latia. Right, Reverend Doctor Latia. Okay, Latia is your guest host. We're talking about disability theology. We got many stories coming your way. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Josiah and Latia for the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm.